Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Odds Checker. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by George Ellick, and this week we've got Sam with us as well. We're going to preview the weekend's Premier League action, as we always do. In fact, I say the weekend's Premier League action, actually the game week starts this evening with Brighton against Palace. I can't remember who's at home, but I know there is a game tonight, so don't forget to do your fantasy football teams if you are that way inclined. We're actually going to start with some teams of our own. Who scored have compiled their Premier League team of the season so far based on who scored ratings. So me and the lads have done the same. We're not going to be taken seriously straight off the bat when I tell you who the goalkeeper is in the who scored team of the season so far. But lads, are you you happy with your teams? George, I'll come to you first. Yeah, pretty happy. That There's one or two um, that are quite difficult. Like there's one omission that I think is probably ranked in the top five players in the whole league this season. But I think you have to do this properly. You can't Garth Crooks it and just wedge players in wherever you want in order to make it. It's got to be a functioning team, yep. players yep. in the right positions. And that's what I've gone for. You say that I may well have wedged a player into my team. We'll, we'll see what you think of that. Sam, happy with yours? Yeah, I, well, there's a couple of players that I wish I could put in, but I just can't because I subscribe to the George Ellick theory of play players and the positions they play in. Don't be okay. silly. Don't do anything wild. And that 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 extends to the point where I only put left wingers on the left and right wingers on the right. I do not swap wingers. Okay, I'm a bit of a stickler for this sort of stuff. So sounds like that's exactly what you've done, Dan. No, no, nothing to do with wingers. I'd be exactly the same with wingers. There's one selection that's a little bit fluid, I would say, for me, but it was because I wanted someone else in my team, so I, I felt I had to do it. But I think I'll get away with it. We might have done the same people, thing. Yeah, I think most people will be okay with what I've done. Let's start with the who scored team of the season so far then. And like I say... Andre Anana in goal. I'm going to gloss over that completely. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Romero, Van Dijk and Mikalenko of Everton is the back four. Midfield for it is a, a who scored legacy 4-4-2 here. We've got Saka, Madison, Rodri and Docker. Jonathan Wilson would not be having James Madison in a midfield two at all. And then a front two of Haaland and Son. Thoughts on the who scored team, Sam? Uh, functionally, it doesn't work. And... <laughs> But that doesn't that doesn't necessarily matter too much. I personally, I, I don't have Doku and I don't have Madison because I think they've missed too many games. Um, Doku has nine starts. That's not enough starts. Uh, my, my, my threshold, my bar is higher. Um, and Madison doesn't have that many more. Obviously, he's missed a, a chunk yeah. of games now. I think he has 11. Um, again, that's not, I don't think that's quite enough. We've got some really, really good players here who are sort of 14, 15 plus out of 17. And I think if you've managed to make it that far, I think you need to be rewarded. So there are some question marks I have otherwise. Romero is not in my team. Uh, Mikolenko is not in my team. Um, but really, where I draw the line is like, there's just not enough appearances. Okay. Uh, I, I think we need to value and, and appreciate the players that have been there for the whole hog. Well, Madison's actually the highest rated player in that team with, oh. with 7.58, which is which is interesting. You forget, well, you don't forget, but he obviously hasn't played for weeks. You know, he was having a an instrumental impact on what Tottenham were doing. They hadn't lost a game, had they? No. Before before Madison got got injured, so he's a he's a huge huge loss. I'm, you know, I'm criticising the Ananas selection, but. His rating is 6.89, and he's the highest-rated goalkeeper, which tells you, George, that Sanders <laughs> might not be the best with goalkeeping across the board. Or it tells you that the algorithm doesn't necessarily rate goalkeepers that highly. Yeah, maybe it's and that. therefore, you know, it's it's a low-variance <laughs> game, this this goalkeeper's uh, who-scored rating, rating malarkey, and therefore we shouldn't read too much into it. So... You know, you know, the th- the thing is when you and I'm not I'm not having a go at the general algorithm here. I'm just just yeah, and also because when you look at the goals prevented um, metric from Opta or whoever you get your uh, underlying numbers from, Anana comes out top in in most of those as well. So undeniably, he is making a lot of good saves, but I think anyone with eyes can also see that he's made one or two or three or four clangers. Um, some of them out of the Premier League, it's worth saying as well. Like it's. It, I think the amount of competitions that these teams play in, for example, when you watch him against Galatasaray, you can see one in particular free kick against Ziyech that's so poor, it's going to cloud your vision when it comes yeah. to the Premier League. But this is only a Premier League eleven, so worth remembering that. But I do not have Anana as my keeper in my team. 
Like Mambo number five going through your going through his errors there. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I, I can't remember who sang Mambo Vega. number five. Lou Vega. Lou Vega. I, I couldn't remember. I was racking my brains <laughs> for a reason. Now, go on then, George. Let's have let's have your team. Then let, let's see what George Ellick has made of the season so far with his eleven. So I'm playing a four-three-three, um, fluid in the midfield because. Having said, I'm not going to wedge anyone in. It's a bit of wedging going on. But in in goal, I've got uh, Vicario, who I think has been since his you know a bit of a wobbly debut has been so essential to what Spurs have been this season. Uh, a right back, I've got Trent Alexander Arnold, who I think has been magnificent. I think comes under more scrutiny than any other any other player for some bizarre reason. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk and William Saliba are my centre backs. Cons are just missing out. Uh, with Saliba getting picked ahead of him. Mikalenko at left-back, I think has been the best left-back in the league, pretty comfortably, and it's been massive for, for what Everton have done. Three in midfield, a bit of wedging here, because um, I couldn't leave out Rodri and Rice. So Rice has played on the left of the three a little bit this season, although it's not his desired uh, role. And I think you can kind of have Rodri and Rice shuffling into a two with McGinn taking up either a role on the right of the three or as a more advanced player. I think his form, especially in Villa's very good recent run uh, and those home wins against City and Arsenal has been so important to where Villa are this season. I think if you can have a Villa player, which you have to do, he has to be in the conversation. So McGinn is the third in the three. And then the three, Haaland up front, this is a bit of wedging because he's been playing up front for most part of the season, but Son is playing off the left in my um, team. He has played there a bit this season, albeit um, it's not his kind of main function but I do think his goal involvements and how important again he's been to Spurs this season so far uh, means he deserves to be there and I've gone for Salah on the right um, even though I think Bukayo Saka is just an unbelievable player and is playing incredibly well this season he has to pick one of the two um, in my mind Saka is part of a very well-oiled machine Arsenal um, and if you take him out I think they would miss him but I think if you took Mo Salah out of this Liverpool side there's absolutely no chance they would, they, they would be where they are in the league this season and that is how I've come to the decision for Salah over Saka. I've got to say, I think that team's better than mine. Okay. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a good team. I also think it's better than who scored, so as well. As well, I, I will say you've done some you've done some interesting th- things there. I think that's a that, that's a that's a good line. Had you seen who scored team before you put uh, Mikalenko in, or did that was just off your off your own back? No, I basically struggled and I looked at basically all the left backs in the league, and then. Crucially with them, I mean, I I had seen the McLenko previously to this recording was high, but then I went and just read what Everton fans have said about him to see if it kind of marries what I've seen. And that all of them to a man are basically saying he has to be the best left back in the Premier League. I, I, I think there is often with players like him who are a bit unfashionable, um, you know, you can... Uh, get kind of noisy results and things but I do think in his case you watch him and like he's a he's a mag- he's a brilliant one-on-one defender he offers a, a load going forward he's coming under under Dyche as well um and it's it's not a particularly crowded mm. uh, market I would say the best left back in the Premier League this it season. was t- tough no. wasn't it to, to pick between um well just no one you run through it and you're like well City use centre-backs at left back and and Vardiol hasn't been too convincing and Ake hasn't played very much Robertson's been injured you know, you start to run through it. Zinchenko's been injured and a little bit error-prone at points and you, you start to run out of ideas. Mikalenko was my second choice. He has been really, really good. Like, I absolutely support George on that one and I agree with all the Everton fans, but he wasn't my pick. I nearly, very nearly, because I, 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 I don't agree with my own left-back pick here, but I didn't feel <laughs> I'd, I'd, I didn't feel I'd seen enough of, of, of uh, Mikalenko to, to to say that I could put him in my team. I was I nearly put James Tarkovsky I was very, I was very close to, to doing that. Because every time I do watch Everton, I'm not a left back, but not a left back <laughs> in, my, in my in my team in general. And obviously, Everton yeah, are yeah. having a good season. They've just had a had a ten point deduction. I'll just let's just do, just just focus on left backs. We'll reveal the rest of mine and and, and Sam's team afterwards. Who have you put in then at, at left backs? Sam? Udogi. Udogi. <laughs> I went for Udogi. Yeah, I, it was between him and Mikalenko. Udogi's been sensational, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've loved Spurs' fullback pairing, to be honest with you, and I felt like Udogi had, had deserved this. Uh, it's been a spectacular start. I didn't really see it coming. That's probably part of it, although Mikalenko exploding from an attacking perspective is also a lovely surprise. So there's two names here that I didn't think we'd be discussing, um, but Udogi, I think, has been an absolute force, an absolute force for Spurs. So I think he deserves it. It's a bit of a spoiler for mine. I was going to put Udogi in, but then I felt like I couldn't have two Spurs fullbacks, so I didn't put 
U Doggy, and then also I can't say his name without going Ooh Doggy. And there's some Ooh Doggy. <laughs> Don't worry, some, 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 some Ooh Doggies down here that are absolutely doing my editing through this podcast so, so far. I'd put Zinchenko in just because when I watch Arsenal, I just love him. That's probably a little bit biased because he probably isn't having the the strongest season. But I just think he, when he plays, Arsenal are an infinitely better side. So that I put Zinchenko in as 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 my left back. Let's run through your team then, Sam. Okay, so I've got Vicario. Um, I think pretty much by every metric, he's he's been the best. Um, Allison and Emi Martinez have been amazing, but Vicario has been a smidge better. Um, I've got Poro and Udogi. I did the Spurs double, Dan, that you were too scared to. Uh, I think as a as a pairing, they've been unbelievable. And I think they've been the source of a lot of what's been great about Spurs this season. I've taken Saliba and Van Dijk. So same as George at centre-back. I've taken Rice and Rodri. And I've I've put Trent in midfield because that's where he basically Ooh. plays. As wow. that, look, that's, spends, that's exactly what I've done, by the way, as well. Spends, <laughs> spends, spends more time in midfield than he does at right back, and I want Poro in. So I was I put Trent in, and that meant Douglas Louise, unfortunately, had to step aside. I felt very bad about that. But Trent, this month, or since since sort of like the back end of November, has been on a completely different level. It has been absurd watching him play. Um, and in my front three, I've got Saka, not Salah. I've got Son on the left, and I put Ollie Watkins up front. Interesting. Yeah. Some similarities with my team there, actually. So I'll, I'll, I'll rattle through mine. Vicario makes it a, a clean sweep in goal. Porro, Saliba, Van Dijk and Zinchenko is my back four. I will say I'm Pedro Porro, one of my favourite players to watch. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's so tactically yeah. switched on. And actually, if he was to get injured for Spurs, I think that would kill them because they don't have anyone to do what he does at right back at all. My midfield three is Rodri sitting with Douglas Louise and Trent Alexander-Arnold in front of them, in front of him. Sorry, I felt that was a, a nice move. I could not put Douglas Louise in, having watched him but every week. Have, and have you not put Rice in? No. It was him or Douglas wow. Louise. I went Douglas. And, and, and you're biased, so... Yeah, I've said, I sit there and watch <laughs> Douglas Louise every single week, and he's absolutely exceptional, and he's one of Villa's most critical players, and Villa are in the top three of the Premier League, so I felt yeah. like... And soon, and soon he'll, be, he'll, be, he'll be playing alongside Declan Rice as well for Arsenal. <laughs> Villa, so. Villa, Villa, Villa signing Declan Rice? I had absolutely no <laughs> idea that, that Villa was signing Declan Rice, George. And then my front three, uh, this is this is feels a little bit biased as well. I've gone Salah over Saka just because... I think Salah is so, so consistent and his output is absolutely incredible. It just continues all the time, so it almost gets forgotten how good he is. I don't think Saka's been quite as good as he was last season, whereas I feel Salah's been just the same as he has been for the last three, four, five years. One, two, three, four, five. I feel he's been just as good. I've done the same as you, Sam, and gone for Watkins over over Haaland up front. Absolutely incredible striker for Villa. And then I've just, I felt like I, my team, I was picking players that were playing towards the top and not picking anyone else. So I've actually gone for Wang. Really? In, in, in my front three. Wow. His output that for a is... team... That, yeah. Wild. So you yeah, basically almost like been... me saying the Brighton beginning in the Premier League. <laughs> not, quite, not quite as bad as that. You scored a lot of goals. Wolves are a, a decent team to watch on. Every time I watch Wolves, I think they're a, they're a better side than I always remember them being. And his output from his position in the in the front three is it's high. It's up there with with some other players. So I thought, why not? Why not put Wang in? See if I can get the the Wolves fans on side with me a little bit because when I go on Sky, I get bullied by them on social media. <laughs> this is it, wasn't it? You felt bad about how many Villa players you put into the eleven. You got to the last spot. <laughs> thought, I'll balance the argument. Stick a Wolves player in. Yeah, but you can you can't say in. it's like a, a terrible shout because he is having a no, good no, no. I agree. It's just, it's just when you look at the list of players, and and albeit you've you know you've stuck to the brief better than us by playing someone in there where they actually play. But when you look at the players, played Martin, enough on the left. Come on, it's fine. But when you a central striker, but when you um, when you look at the players that aren't going to be in your team, I think Huang is going to be uh, yeah, bit of a, bit of a you know he's, he's going to be delighted. Sure, but it's not who's the best players here. It's not pick pick the best no, players. Who's having the best season? Pick who's having the best best. Season. I admit I've made some questionable choices in there. And Declan Rice not being in my team is almost a sackable offence. I, I know that. <laughs> I know that myself. But I, I wanted Trent. I wanted Porro and I wanted Douglas Louise and I'll just think again Rodri because he's good every year you almost for, you almost forget about it but he's just brilliant when he hasn't played Man City have lost so I just felt there was no place for Declan Rice it was it was a toss up between those three and Declan Rice and I could have put Declan Rice in for any of those three but I chose not to because I just fancied I was like let's get some Arsenal fans giving me shit on socials that was what, that was what I wanted 
yeah <laughs> so we'll put that we'll try and get this up on social to see who that who the general public or the who scored public think has the best team actually might he's, if he's watching ask our producer to just tell me now who's he thinks is the is the best team if he's been listening and then we'll reveal what he thinks so the producer has said revealed that he thinks george's was the best but he did also reveal that he wasn't listening all the way through but i will say <laughs> I, I quite i quite like george's team as well so i think george's oh the bloody dog i think george has potentially got the best team there in, in my in my opinion I don't, I don't even think i've got the best team and i and, and i picked it i was so worried about missing someone out as well i was like scouring through every squad i wanted to give a special shout out goalkeeper wise actually because i was thinking about putting him in Kaminsky at Luton, he's made so many saves. He's yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely brilliant. He was my next choice in goal. Yeah. So you know, not just looking at the big teams in my team. That was the that was that's the a thing. Bit, bit of a case of the old David Marshalls at Cardiff, though, isn't it? Where you are subjected to so many shots, <laughs> an overwhelming amount of shots that you do end up making a lot of saves. Although he has held on to a few that have been blasted. I think they would have gone straight through me out the other side and he's held on to them some of the some of the, the the saves and then the holds that he makes they are incredible to be fair we're to him. About, we're talking about comparing premier league goal games and you've just thrown yourself into the mix i thought you were going to say it would have gone through <laughs> most premier league goal games and you've said it, 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 would have, it would have gone straight through there so no what i mean by that is it would have gone straight through my body flesh and oh, all, okay. out and out the other side created a hole were, <laughs> i thought you were putting yourself up there with the, with the premier league goalkeepers well you know six foot four good arm span you, you know six foot four yeah, I've met you, but I thought it was so long ago. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember I told you. Okay, let's do the. That was a nice little little start to the pot. What's <laughs> it? Let's do. Uh, let's do Liverpool against Arsenal and carry on this 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 rhythm on the pod. We've obviously just spoke about Saka and Salah. How good is Saka, Sam? Because he's he's probably the most consistent young player in world football. I can't remember if I've said this on on this show, but I think because Bellingham as a young English player is so so good and obviously out of this world. Almost what Saka does gets underrated a little bit. He's only 22 and he's consistent year in, year out. Although, as I said, I don't think he's quite reached the heights of last season. It's one of those things where Saka has been playing every week. And I mean every week because he went 87 games in a row without a rest for like three, four years now, right? Since Unai Emery was in charge of Arsenal. That feels like a decade ago, wasn't it? It was like four years, but feels like a long time ago. He's been playing every week since that time. So you just kind of get used to it, right? But Bellingham has been afar. He's been that really attractive, shiny penny in the distance that you just, you catch a glimpse of every now and then and you think, wow, and he's new to you. And it's, it's a little bit like the syndrome everyone's experiencing right now where a lot of Arsenal fans are suddenly realising that Harry Kane is pretty damn good and they were unable to appreciate him because they were he was right there in Tottenham colours the whole time, right? So it's basically Saka's worn us down with his consistent brilliance. He's like, ah, oh, that's normal. That's normal. Haaland has 14 goals this year. Eh, I'd barely noticed. Because he's Haaland. Yeah. This is what he does. So when Saka's right there in front of you every week, it gets lost on you sometimes. And every now and then you just have to take stock of it and go, hang on a minute, what I'm watching is not normal. Him and Jude Bellingham, to be fair, both. And Vinicius Jr. is in the same rough age bracket. What they're doing is not normal. Not normal yeah. at all. I am surprised that I'm the only one of the three of us that has got Saka in the team of the season so far over Salah. I did not think I would be in the minority. I just, I just feel like... It's Saka, it's Salah, sorry. Salah's numbers, isn't he? Like top of near the top yeah. of the scoring charts and top of the assist charts. Like it's just his output that's yeah. frightening every year on year. That's my uh, my sole reason for doing it. It's not even year on year. It's just it's just this this season. It feels like Salah. Like this is, you know, I, I try to make the point earlier. This is nothing against Bukayo Saka. Like me leaving Saka no. out of that team isn't a reflection in any way of of his incredible ability and and still potential. Like I kind of agree with Sam where. It doesn't really feel like, I mean, it's more and more in the last kind of 18 months, I think people are giving Saka the, the praise he deserves, but it still doesn't feel like it's gone far enough. Like we have a player, an English player playing for Arsenal, who's 22 years old, who has the capability and the capacity to be not just like a world-class player, but one of the best players in the world for a very long period of time in every, in every sense. He's incredibly... Um, if you, if you look at the way that he plays the game, like he isn't just an explosive wide player, like you talk about Vinicius and, and that is what he is. And it feels like he's so destructive in terms of what he does. And I'm not going to call him a one-trick pony, but there is 
like a, a clear way that Vinicius hurts teams. Whereas with, with Saka, it feels like he can hurt you in so many different ways. You know, he's incredibly tidy on the ball. He makes good decisions consistently. He has the pace to go past a player. He's creative with his passing and he's a massive goal threat from anywhere, basically. Like he is an absolute boy wonder. Yeah, if we look at his season upon season ratings, and there's a lovely graphic here for those that are, are watching on, on YouTube. So 1920, when he made his breakthrough, it was 6.65. In 2021, he went up to 6.88. In 2122, he got into the sevens with 7.06. Last season, his average rating, according to who scored, was 7.40. And this season so far, making a mockery of what I've just said about him not being as good as he was last <laughs> season, it's 7.61. So a lovely little trajectory there. The question for you, Sam, here, you know, we think about the great Arsenal size and we can only talk about in our, in our generation because we didn't watch the great Arsenal sides of the, of the years previous. The Invincibles, Jungberg and, and Perez on the flanks, absolutely brilliant. Is Saka better than they were? I know it's hard to judge, but is, is he better than them? What a horrible Killer question that, that oh, I'm not going to answer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the answer to that, man. It, it That feels like so long ago because it was... I even I even struggle thinking about the, the, you know Villa teams from 15 years ago, and that was and that's well, my that's, team. That's, let alone that's because you want to forget them. Let alone, well, yeah, true. But um, you know, trying to compare Douglas Louise and Bubakar Camera to Gareth Barry and James Milner is actually really difficult for me. So comparing Saka and Martinelli to to Jungberg and Pires, oh my god! I guess you I probably just numbers say, will be up there. I suspect because he, he hits double figures, doesn't he? He does, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess the obvious answer is, you know, that team won. They they won games when it mattered. They won trophies. This Arsenal team have won an FA Cup or whatever. They haven't conquered the pile. And football is very often a see it to believe it sport. It's about what have you got in the cabinet quite a lot of the time. It's about can I trust you to do it well? Have you done it before? Um, so in that sense, I'd, I'd still give the nod to the legends. But yeah. I... I genuinely look at this Arsenal team right now and I see I think I see the best team in the league. So let's talk about it in May when Arsenal potentially have won the title because this this looks on to me. Yeah. Seem to have forgotten that they won the community shield in the in the summer, Sam. Absolutely my, poor from you. My, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, George, I will ask you this the same question. Where 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 do you think he would rank? I know it's hard to say because his career hasn't 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 finished, isn't it? But yeah, like I, I think it is really hard to say. Like I, I read an article I remember um, a couple of weeks ago that said, or was it last week that said that after his 200th appearance for Arsenal, Saka scored I think ten more, ten more career goals than Ronaldo had after his 200th uh, professional appearance. So like, I think because he's been around for a while, you kind of assume now that Saka is just going to continue on the on the similar trajectory where there, there is scope for him to to massively improve again. So comparing him to two players who have finished their career. Who, frankly, aged twenty-two, I don't think uh, Perez or, or Limburg were anywhere near the level that the Saka is now. So, I, I think he's he's definitely got the capabilities to to eclipse what they did, not only in an Arsenal shirt but in world football. So, he's a massive talent. I, I I just genuinely don't think there is a ceiling that you can put on Saka. And I also believe that there will. I thought it might be this season, and it may still happen in the second half of the season, but but soon he'll become more prolific, and he won't be a player that scores. 10 to 12 goals a season he'll be a player that suddenly scores 20 plus goals a season I want no doubt about that there's no reason why that wouldn't happen yeah someone who's scoring goals at the moment Sam is Kai Havertz he's got four in his last seven has Mikel Arteta found a, a way of getting the, the best out of him because his stats pre and post the November international break that they're, they're stark they are yes there's a big difference um I'll start by giving Havertz some credit but then I'm going to take it away from him really fast um he's taking on more shots he looks more confident and I think he looks quicker across the ground, which was my big gripe with him, how lethargic he was looking to start the season. That might might be my imagination, though, about him moving across the ground quicker. And Arsenal, they get a lot of corners. They get to put the ball in the box. He's a tall player. He is benefiting from these scenarios. But I would put this more down to Gabriel Jesus returning from injury than anything else. The pre- and post-international break stats that you refer to directly coincide with Gabriel Jesus's return from injury. And when he plays, he unlocks a whole level, a whole different level from so many of those players that he plays with. He's one of those proper, like, uh, rising tide lifts all boats players where he just elevates everybody around him and he adds so much to the attack. 
And if you're looking at sort of Havertz there is improving, well, well, just about everybody has. All of Arsenal's metrics are up post-November international break. I think it's down to Jesus a lot of it. I mean, well done to Havertz for seizing the chance, taking the opportunities, being more assertive. We needed that from him. He, he didn't look confident. Now he does. But I think the source of it all is, is Jesus. Really, he's, he's a very, very good player and he, he lifts everybody else around him. Interesting view because a lot of people, I say a lot of people, mainly on social media, will say Arsenal need a need, need a goal scorer. But Jesus, he's a he's a bit of an, an enabler, isn't he? He's, a, he's he's a smart footballer. He might not give you the goal output, but I think with him in the team, I think other people around him kind of replace that goal input out, output. Sorry, if, if it makes sense. Let's have a quick squeeze over the Liverpool and Arsenal combined eleven before we talk a little bit about Liverpool. It's Allison in goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, Gabriel and Timoshas as the back four. Declan Rice is holding with Erdegaard and Shabazlai in front of him. And then it's an all-Arsenal front three, surprisingly, with Saka, Jesus and Martinelli. Are you surprised by that that team? Especially that front that front three, George. Saliba wasn't in there, was he? No, Saliba wasn't in there. Gabriel's ahead of him and Van Dijk. <laughs> yeah, that I, I don't agree with that. I guess if they were also, doing it pro- if they were doing it proper, mind you, Van Dijk plays left centre back as well. I was gonna say maybe it's because Gabriel's a left centre back, yeah, but Van yeah. Dijk plays left centre back as well. I don't agree with that. I also don't think I mean Martinez's inclusion is a is a bit of a surprise. Like I'm I'm a I'm a big fan, but I don't really see how he gets into that team this season. Maybe since he's got in my fantasy football team, he doesn't want to know. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty surprised. I also think with Liverpool, um, you know, Salah's obviously the star, but, but we've said it before. When you, when you look at the, you know, I think the other players in that front three, whether it is Nunez, despite him still not being prolific, or whether it's Luis Diaz, you know, these players will, will play really significant parts in, in this season. Um, so, you know, I would rather, I'd probably rather have Diaz on that on the left hand side than Martinelli uh, at the moment, in, in my mind. So, yeah, quite surprised, but. Taking the Jonathan Wilson line, I'm, I'm, I'm don't place massive uh, weight in a combined 11s personally. No, okay, nice knowing you, George. Be good to see you. Good to see you. Do I not have the same? Do I not have the same clout as as Jonathan? Do I not get oh, to Jonathan say that? Can, and then... Jonathan can say what he wants. John, although Jonathan was every week last season, and now he's only only every other week. So maybe maybe that'll be you <laughs> after, after, after what you've just said. So George, staying with you. Just how good have Liverpool been recently? Because it feels like they've had some close results. They've, they've scored some late goals, which, you know, without playing your best when you win games, I think that's always the sign of a of a good team. Not many people were shouting about Liverpool challenging for the title at the, at the start of the season. Are they the real deal? Are they in a false position? What, what have you made of them? Firstly, I definitely don't agree that winning games playing badly is a sign of a good team. I, I think it's a sign of a successful team. I think if you're gonna if you're going to win things, you probably have to have a slice of luck, which includes edging away edging um games where you haven't necessarily been at your best. But I think ideally the best teams, like Manchester City for the second half of last season, for example, will basically just wipe the floor with any team they play against and have a high performance level. But with with Liverpool that you know their their ability to you know, you look at the, the four-three win over Fulham, where they were they were three-two down with three minutes to go and managed to score twice. You look at the one-all draw at Luton, where they Luis Diaz scored very late in the game to to get an equaliser and to, to draw that game. Even the you know the Palace game where they played against ten men but were one-nil down with fifteen minutes to go and managed to win the game two-one. I personally think they have to improve. Like this, this won't continue to happen. Like they're not going to continue scoring injury time goals to win games and keep up the pace with Arsenal and, you know, if City ever turn it around this season, City as well and Aston Villa. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a concern, but I think winning games of football, especially off the back of a disappointing campaign, especially off the back of quite a lot of player churn in itself can can galvanise and can, can help a club kick on. So, um, they haven't been great. I think I agree with Sam in, in that Arsenal right now look to me to be the best team in the Premier League with their performance level. But there's no denying, you know, you look at Liverpool last night and against West Ham in the in the EFL uh, in the EFL Cup, and that was a, a scintillating display where they completely dismant- dismantled David Moyes' side. And performances like that uh, will certainly get them um, not needing to rely on late goals in order to win games. I guess in this title race as, as well, Sam, and this isn't on the script at, at all, but I've just thought about it, the African Cup of Nations is going to cause more problems to Liverpool 
than it's going to to, to Arsenal, isn't, isn't it? Do you think there's like one of these two teams that needs to be busier in in January? Do you think they will act in January? I, I don't. I've never really seen Liverpool as a, as a January team, except for when they sold Torres and bought Andy Carroll and Suarez. They don't <laughs> they don't strike me as a team that do business and Klopp's a manager that doesn't really do business in January. Yeah, I, I mean Liverpool. I think if they enter the market, it's not because of the Africa Cup of Nations. You are you are right in that they are obviously going to lose a big hitter in Mohamed Salah for as long as he's out there. They're used to this, for what it's worth. They had a Salah and Mane wing combo for a long time, and they both left during AFCON every time it happens. So it's not like this is a new issue for Liverpool to solve. In fact, it's they've halved the issue because Mane is no longer departing. Um they're also not losing Naby Keita, although I don't think that actually matters. Um, I don't think Arsenal are going to lose anyone except Thomas Partey, but he's not been There's around been for the last yeah. like three and a half months anyway. So I'm not sure what the what the, the noticeable drop off is, if at all. So yeah, Liverpool probably suffer a little bit. I mean, they probably suffer. I mean, he's in he's in team of the season, team of the half seasons here. Like you know, they're going to lose him for a bit. It's going to hurt. Um, but. If they're into the market, it's not to cover that, right? It's because uh, Joel Matip has unfortunately torn his ACL. There was already discussion over whether or not they'd be looking at a centre-back. Maybe Matip's injury kind of accelerates that, although you have to respect the fact that Joel Kwanzaa has, has been pretty good. Yeah, and Joe Gomez, Joe Gomez is back and is being is pretty serviceable. So, and you know, it's you can't difficult. rely on his fitness, can you? Joe no, Gomez. and you can't and you can't rely on Ibrahim Konate's fitness either. He's no, also extre- seemingly extremely injury prone. So I think there's reasons to to go in and, and reasons not to. I, I don't know what they'll end up doing. Um, might be down to FFP, you know, as is as is that's that's kind of like the gold standard for every answer here, isn't it? It might be down to FFP. We've already started seeing a few directors, a few general managers and, and sporting directors coming out and going, Well, we're not gonna be too active because what was it, John Murto said, the Man United director, FFP has real teeth. <laughs> or something like that as real teeth and that's a that's a reference to Everton and you know they won't be the only team feeling like they can't overstep the mark here yeah I mean, most of us have real teeth in in fairness unless you reach <laughs> unless you reach a said I think everyone on this podcast has certainly got got real teeth anyway let's do um let's do some score predictions for the, for this one then George I'll come to you first what's your score prediction for Liverpool against Arsenal uh I've got Liverpool 2 Arsenal 2 I nearly did that. I was so close to a 2-2, but I've gone for 3-2 to Liverpool, a late goal, I reckon, to, to, to win the game, a goalkeeping error. Sam? I've gone for one all. one all. That was the most Epid. specific prediction I've ever heard from Dan there. 3-2 mm. with a late goal and a goalkeeping error. Yeah, I just got a feeling. That's what, that's what I'm, I'm feeling in my bones. That's what I'm feeling in my bones, George. Nice. That's what I've got. That's what, what I've got. Five goals. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I, don't know why I, I don't know why I keep why I keep doing that. Right, it's then, what funny. We, it was funny the first time. I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's funny the third time. Um what should we do next? Should we should we do our should we go through our general predictions for the for the other yeah. games and then look at Wolves and Chelsea afterwards and mix mix it up a little bit this week? Come on then. Palace against Brighton, which is actually tonight, Sam. Uh what all? One all lives a one all, Sam. George, one all as well. One all, yeah. Big game for Roy, this isn't it? With Cooper yeah. back on the market. Yeah, but I've gone for two one to Brighton. Light goal. Light goal. There's gonna be a light goal somewhere. There's gonna be a light goal somewhere. Villa v Sheffield United on Friday night. I've gone for two nil to Villa, George. Three nil Villa. Three nil Villa, Sam. Three nil Villa. Oh my days, Villa top of the league on by, by Friday night. Then if our predictions are to be correct, West Ham against Manchester United, Sam. Nil, nil. <laughs> nil, nil. Very good. Very, very nice, George. In the real two, world. 2-1 West Ham. 2-1 West Ham. I've gone for 2 nil, 2 West Ham, but that was before I watched them play last night. Again, <laughs> what was the strong side against Liverpool <laughs> as well? Hello, dog. Um, right then, uh, Fulham v Burnley, I'll go first. I've gone for 3-1 to Fulham. Sam? 2-1 to Fulham. 2-1 to Fulham. Uh, George? 2-0. 2-0 to Fulham. Fulham, yeah. 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 Uh, Luton against Newcastle, Sam? Uh, Newcastle win 2-1. 2-1. I've gone for 2-0 to Newcastle. George? 1-0 Luton. Yes, I thought he, he would. Luton, he loves it. He loves it. Oh, he loves Luton at home and he yeah. loves a the differential. Yeah, they're, they're, they're okay at home. They've, they've gone pretty well at home. Okay. 
Superb at home. Superb at home, sorry. <laughs> right, I got given the wrong game here. It's not Forest v Brentford, is it? It's Forest v Bournemouth, Nuno, Espirito, Santo. Is it De Santo or Santo? I can't remember. Santa. Santa. There's no duh. He's been out of the Premier League so long, I've forgotten his name. So Forest against Brentford, Sam? No, Forest against No, Forest against Bournemouth, because I was sent the wrong picture. <laughs> Forest two, two. against Bournemouth. It's a Desmond three. for me. 2-2? Two, two. Yeah, it's a Desi for me. Okay, I need a 2-2 then. Absolutely lost the plot. <laughs> George? 2-0 Bournemouth. 2-0 I've gone for 1-0 to Forest. And I did that before. Wow. All three before, results? I, oh, no, I did I did that actually afternoon. I got higher. Just a just a, a Nuno masterclass. What, 1-0. Spurs v Everton. I've gone for 2-2. Two, two. George? 2-0 two, Spurs. 2-0 two, Spurs. Sam? 3-2 to Spurs. 3-2 to Spurs. And what a carry. game. Yeah, there's a lot of goals this week, isn't there, according to us? And then we've got Liverpool-Arsenal, which we've already done. And we'll, we'll come on. I know, let's do our Wolves v Chelsea prediction now before we talk about the game. Let's reinvent the wheel completely here. Uh, Wolves-Chelsea, I've gone for 2-1 to Wolves. Sam? 2-1 to Chelsea. 2-1 to Chelsea. You'll probably get that right, because every time I predict Wolves to win, they lose. Uh, George? <laughs> 1-0 Chelsea. 1-0 Chelsea. Announces oh. himself to the Premier League. Oh, wow. So there's some interesting predictions this week. Last week was not a brilliant week for me at the top. I only got three points. And George, you only got four points. Jonathan Wilson. Cool back. Yeah. Jonathan Wilson got a massive nine for him and Sam there. Ooh. I don't know how he did that. Absolutely sensational week from Willow there. Right. We've got to do our cumulative, haven't we? Our, our treble. We haven't discussed it. So who wants to take what this week? George, as you had the best team, I'd say I'll, I'll let you take what you what you want. Okay. I will take Luton to beat Newcastle. Oh, no. I'll take the Palace Brighton <laughs> draw. Palace Brighton draw. Doug did not like that one bit. So it's, it's it? going to be over by the time we get Saturday anyway. So it's fine. there's a bit of a problem here as well because if I'm taking the away win I've only predicted two away wins and they're the games that you two have just taken so I can't can't use it let's redo that I'll take uh, you take the away win Sam yeah we'll leave that in bit of funny isn't it bit of japes away win I have to take Chelsea against Wolves my friends okay then and that means I have to take the draw which leaves me looking at Spurs Everton Nice. Big That'd price. Big price, yeah. Big Always. price. 47.33 <gasps> to one. So nearly 50 to one for the Tottenham Everton draw, Luton uh, and Chelsea treble. Guess who the top price are? Dan Is it Bardell? BetMGM? It's BetMGM. Go on, MGM. Right, Wolves against Chelsea. Then I mean, it says in the script here, how unlucky have Wolves been this season? Rattle off some decisions that have gone against them, but we probably don't have time for that, George. No, you could round them off. Uh, Man U, the penalty. That's one. Yeah. yeah. We can, there we go. That's an easy one. Uh, what else was there? George knows them all. Well, I thought he did. That's why I'm I asked to... him. No, I don't. Uh, if, I'd, if I'd done some prep, I could have done it. I'll tell you what, there was one that they should have given a penalty away against Villa that didn't get given. No one talks about that. Don't talk about that, do you, Wolverhampton? <laughs> when he pushed Ollie Watkins over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know there has been loads. Oh, it was the. Do you remember it was the, the the Fulham game with the penalties? Oh Fulham, yeah, yeah. That was the that was where Gary was really ticking afterwards. Um, yeah, they've had loads, and there's yeah. no denying like there's no denying they've had loads. But it's also like having uh, said I don't believe in the whole. Um, you know, you're a good team if you win playing badly. I also think the whole idea of, well, it evens itself out over the course of the season is one of the weirdest things that people say. Like, I do not understand why people <laughs> believe that there is some magical, like, spell that goes on that if you're getting lucky in the game, but well, don't worry about it because, you know, by the end of the season, by the end of this arbitrary amount of games that we play over the course of, like, nine months, by the end of it, it's all taken care of. You don't have to be concerned. <laughs> it's not a magical bizarre. spell. It's called the law of averages. <laughs> But the, the, the law of averages has to be so much longer that to be the case. Like 38 games is a tiny sample size. Like how does this there belief is there this belief that you cannot be unlucky over the course of a season? Like of course you can. Like if, if if a season lasted a thousand years, then maybe you, 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 you'd, you'd be getting somewhere. Um, but of a small, it doesn't make any sense at all. So I feel very sorry for for Gary O'Neill because um, I mean, luckily for them. It, it doesn't feel like there's going to be much of a relegation issue, um, partly because they, they're they pretty good and partly because the, the three teams at the bottom uh, look like they're going to struggle to um, be overly competitive. So it shouldn't matter too much, but 
you know, in terms of his career progression and him wanting to ensure that not only does he stay at Wolves for as long as possible, but probably, you know, for his ambitions of being an English manager that's appealing to, to clubs maybe higher up the food chain, it does impact him. So, um, yeah, I feel feel bad for them and, and hopefully it evens itself out over the course of the season. I mean, <laughs> every, time, every time I tweet, if, if I think Villa have had a bad decision, I will get someone tweet me back saying, well, you shouldn't have stayed up because the goal line technology against Sheffield United, every time Villa get any form of decision mm. or don't get a decision. In the 28th game of that season, that, yeah, that, pivot, that pivotal moment that decided it all. Kept Villa up. Villa would not be where they are now without, without Nealand falling over the line and the goal line technology not, not working. That, that's an absolute fact. I have to keep apologising for the dogs here because it's so windy outside. They think the house is blowing down or someone's trying to get in the house. It's very, very windy here and very, very noisy. Let's talk about Cunha then, Sam. A player actually of before we started scoring, I was thinking he's actually a, a really good player. He just, just needs some end product. But over recent weeks, Neto's been out. Feels like he's kind of taken the onus and taken responsibility and he's getting that productivity now. Yes, he's a player that I've I've always really, really liked because I do tend to side with the sort of striker who who tries his hardest, who runs the channels, who occupies, who links play, but doesn't necessarily score all the goals. I've always been more of a Mateus Cunha kind of guy than like a Darren Bent kind of guy, right? Uh, I don't <laughs> necessarily like the, the I'll, just, I'll just do the last bit and stand here while you do all the work. I like the guy who who rolls his sleeves up like Cunha, takes the ball 40 yards, transitions you from defence to attack, gets you into those areas. I For a long time, I've wished he'd scored more goals. It's been a problem all his career. I know he's only about 24 years of age, but he's been playing regular football for six or six or seven seasons now. He's up to five goals for the league season. His record in his entire career in Europe, as in his best ever league return, is seven, which was in the Bundesliga where Harry Kane is about to score 58 million goals. So clearly this has been a problem for him over the years and it has driven me mad because the rest of his game and his skill set is really appealing. So honestly, guys, if Mateus Cunha has decided that he can finish and if it's one of those like, uh-oh, happy learned how to putt moments in Happy Gilmore, we're all in trouble because this is a force of nature striker and carrier of the ball. Great physical attributes, great speed. If he can now finish as well, some player. Yeah, and people say oh, I'm nasty about Wolves, but actually they scored my favourite goal last season. And so far they've scored my favourite goal this season and Cunha was involved. All you're being is nice season. to Wolves today. You're, this feels oh. like the, 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 the Dan Bardell Wolves podcast, the loving. No, yeah. but that's, that's your favourite goal this season, not, not Sarabia's goal. And it was Cunha that, that played that lovely little little dinked pass in, into him. I think that, my favourite goal of the season was Garnacho's bicycle kick. No, I'm still going, <laughs> I, I'm, no, I'm still going Wolves. <laughs> I love that goal. That's a right Sarabia goal. It's one of my favourite goals I've ever seen. When you know you sat there watching a game and you're not going, ooh, doggy. You know, I was watching <laughs> I was I was watching that game and I was almost about out my seat, making all kinds of noise. It's a, a beautiful goal. It, I wasn't I didn't see the Garnacho as it happened because I was coming back from Villa Park, I think. Or coming back from from the villa. So I didn't actually see it live. But that when I was there, I was watching it on the teller. Yeah, you've got Garnacho as well, then, Sam, I take it. I think so. I mean, I'd have to give it 20 minutes thought, you know, but I haven't. But yeah, Garnacho seems like a good shout, possibly the best yeah, bicycle kick of all time. Nice try. I think the fact that he sprints that seven yards backwards before hit, hitting the bicycle kick makes it yeah. pretty special. But I think mm. it might win goal of the season over Sarabias. And, you know, Garnacho, he's a decent player. He's got a future in the game. I'm not I'm <laughs> sure. Sarabias was, was my favourite goal. We've been talking about nice things. Let's talk about something that's not so nice. I can't remember which one of you I the last question too so please whoever didn't answer the last question answer this one how underwhelming have Caicedo and Enzo been because people are talking about this being a high level midfield for a number of years but for that money you need those players to be good now this should shouldn't be as much bedding in as he's as he's needed I think Caicedo has improved in in recent weeks but they've got to be better than they, they have been surely it's it's so difficult because I mean, obviously they have to be better better than this, and I think Enzo in particular has really frustrated me. Like with Caicedo, I think it's more um, understandable. You know, he's come in in the summer. He's still a very young player, which is easy to forget. Um, he's been asked to play a different role to, to what we saw previously at Brighton. There's also a lot of pressure on him given the, the very public um, kind of tug of war between Chelsea and Liverpool for his services. And, and, and he was I'm injured. Sure he will come good. And he was injured exactly, and he came in injured. Um, and I also think we're seeing him 
Enzo didn't play last weekend and uh, Caicedo played in kind of the more Enzo role and was very good. Again, in midweek when they played Newcastle, Enzo went off ill after half an hour. But even before then, Enzo was kind of not really getting involved and Caicedo was the one dropping in and getting the ball off the defenders and looking to get to get um, Chelsea up the pitch. And I do think that seems to suit him, but they have an issue there where you can't really have two players sitting in front of the back four who both want to play that role, um, which is an issue. Um, but then, the, you know, with Chelsea and all Chelsea kind of conversation this season, there is this big elephant in the room, which is their their, their chronic underperformance of their underlying numbers, where it feels like in a different set of circumstances, some better finishing, some better goalkeeping, fewer individual mistakes from, from centre-backs, which has been an issue for them this season. Chelsea could be having quite a good start to the season without much changing in terms of their performances between both boxes. And then we're not really even having this conversation. I do think the the, the midfield trio of, of Gallagher, Caicedo and, and Enzo does lack something. Um, I think when you have Gallagher in your side, who obviously presses so well and, and is a really aggressive player in that most advanced midfield role you are therefore taking out someone who is necessarily a creative player in that role which I think when you're a top level you know if you want to be an elite team it's quite hard to to do that with 65% possession in every game if you've got a player taking up that position between the two ball players in, in midfield and the front three who isn't really going to link up play particularly effectively like I don't think that's Gallagher's game and that to me is a bit of an issue but it's way too early in my mind to um start writing them off I do wonder though with Enzo given his stock is falling pretty quickly from you know it was a year ago it was a year and what two days ago a year ago yesterday that he lifted the World Cup um, and since then things have not gone particularly well and I do wonder with him is it is a part of this that he maybe doesn't want to be there and he probably thinks hold on we're not going to get the Champions League next season this is all a bit of a mess like what am I doing here which understandably might have an impact on his performances. Interesting that you say that midfield might be missing something, that midfield three, George, because Nkunku is now available. Could he be that missing piece of, of the jigsaw, Sam? A, a really, really good footballer. I think he was probably the most exciting of Chelsea's summer signings in, in my eyes, and he hasn't got to play yet. Proven at the Champions League level at the, at the very least, so we know he's a, he's a high-level player. Could he be that that difference maker? Because then suddenly you're looking at, you know, the two that we've just spoken about sitting in midfield. You've then got probably Palmer on the on the right, Sterling on the left, and then Nkunku playing off Jackson. Or I imagine Nkunku might play up top as kind of a false nine as well. You know, suddenly I think he might knit everything together a little bit more nicely for Chelsea. I think he will knit things together really nicely. I think he is that kind of player. Um, we've seen him in all sorts of different roles over the years uh, for, for PSG, for Leipzig, for his national team. I've uh, seen him play as part of a striking duo, you know, running off the shoulder at Leipzig. I've seen him playing as an eight for PSG. I've seen him play wide. Pochettino has talked about all the different positions he's played. Uh, he can play. Um, funnily enough, and I thought very interestingly, Dan, um, when Pochettino talked about all the different things that Nkunku can do, he did not talk about playing as a striker. He mentioned him wide as a seven or an 11, as he called it. He mentioned him as an eight or a 10. He did not say nine. Whether or not that's a hint that Pochettino doesn't really see Nkunku stepping into that void or not, I'm not sure. We'll have to see. I think what we can say, though, is that he will knit this thing together a little bit better. He is that kind of player. He's brilliant. But we, we've got to walk before we can run here. He's not played a single minute of Premier League football. It can be a tough transition from the Bundesliga. He's coming off a serious injury. He's great. But like it's again, like I know Chelsea sort of lurch from position to position here where they're, they're constantly looking for a saviour. They're looking for a fix. And Kunku right now looks like the next possible one. And again, we will just have to give him a little bit of time, I think, to to, to bed in and and to adapt because it's a it's a big change for him. But no doubt about it, in games that as George says, you get 65% of the ball and you and you want to be a little bit more creative, maybe knit things together in the, between the lines a bit more. And Kunku is a better shout than Gallagher. In the big games right now, Gallagher is shining because he's leading that press, blocking off the middle of the pitch, making Chelsea really obstinate and difficult to play against. Against Sheffield United, is it necessary? You know, can you switch things up? And that's about having options. But I don't want to crown on Kunku too soon, but like I, I do think he has the material here to to really change a lot for Chelsea in a good way. 
It's interesting with Conor Gallagher, isn't it, George? Because he's, he's captain the side for the majority of, of the season. Every time I talk the dog box, he's captain the side for the majority of the of, of the season. But yet, January coming up, Chelsea, if they do want to sign anyone, they're probably going to be really wary of FFP and he's homegrown, which we know the benefits of selling someone homegrown. We know the benefits that come with that. He's playing every week, he's captain, but yet when January comes round, they'll still talk about Conor Gallagher perhaps leaving, but Pochettino at least seems to, to really, really like him. And, and that's a worry because if you've suddenly got Maurizio Pochettino saying, hold on, this is a player that I really trust and I really want in my side and you're going to go above me and you're going to sell him in order to to fund a, a ridiculous amount of overspending, then especially given the poor start to the season, is that when cracks start to emerge between the relationship between Todd Bowley and Maurizio Pochettino? Like I cannot imagine he would entertain the possibility of selling a player that he basically plays whenever fit, that he's made captain in the absence of the, you know the, the prolonged absence of Reese James, like it is, um, yeah, it, it would be a sign. I, I think if if Conor Gallagher is sold, it will be a real sign that things are not okay at Chelsea and they've massively screwed up in terms of the way that they're recruiting. Um, I, I personally don't think it would be the worst thing from a football perspective, but I'm not their manager, so you know if, if they manage to get a, a fair fee for a homegrown player who. I think is a, a very effective player in certain situations, but you know, I, I think whenever you look at these kind of players, if you offered, if you gave Conor Gallagher to Pep Guardiola, to uh, Jurgen Klopp, and to Mikel Arteta, do you think they would want him? Do you think they would see him as an important player as he is at Chelsea? I, I definitely don't think so. And by that measure, I think Chelsea therefore have to do better. But again, you don't really trust their recruitment in order to make those decisions. Klopp is the most likely of those three managers to find a real for use sure. for him. But I, I, I roughly agree with the sentiment. And it is worrying. Pochettino could not have been more clear. He wants Conor Gallagher in this team, in this squad. He does not want him to be sold. If he is sold above his head, there is a huge disconnect at this club between the, I'll borrow an American term, front office, because there's all sorts of sporting <laughs> directors at play here, but the front office and the manager. And that is not the sign of a well-run club. Dan, we can sniff it a mile off. We've lived through it. George, oh, you probably know. have too. It's concerning when you're involved and you and you, you you're talking about a billion pound spend and eight year deals and manager having players sold from underneath him. It's it's not good. Well, I felt in recently. I know they won midweek, but I felt Poch, Pochettino is he's looking a bit agitated at the moment. He seems a bit more antsy when he's talking in his press conferences as well, doesn't he? Yes, he does. But he's under immense pressure. You know that that they, they haven't really made too many steps forward despite all of this spending and despite the sort of fresh era and the promise from the summer of his appointment, Sterling getting back to his best. And, and as George kind of points out, a lot of this team is is actually kind of working okay, but the points aren't on the board. Any kind of industry standard expected points model has Chelsea way higher up the table than they are right now. All of the underlying numbers, XG and XG against, suggest that Chelsea are performing at a top six level. They're not there. I'm sure that's really annoying. <laughs> like it would, it would annoy me too if I had to watch all these chances being spurned and even Thiago Silva finally dropping a, a stinker. You know, how many more things can go wrong? And then if my captain gets sold in January when I don't want him to, I mean, no wonder he's scowling. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I do think Nkunku will, will really, really help things at Chelsea. And that is the end of our show for this week. And I think that's us done until the new year. I could be completely wrong with that. So if you do subscribe with your personal notifications on, you'll find out if I'm wrong or not. But I believe <laughs> we are done for 2023 and we'll be back in 2024. Thanks to those that have watched the pod all the way through the year. And we hope you have a wonderful Christmas day. And those of you that have just come in and started watching the pod as well, we hope that you have a good Christmas day too. But do tell all your friends and your family about the pod because we think it's a good it's a good pod i've really really enjoyed today and we'd like to get those numbers up so make sure you're telling everyone about edge of the box who scores podcast in association with odds checker to keep an eye on the socials as well because that will tell tell you when when we're coming back uh, enjoy all the football over christmas and there's plenty of it starting tonight always my favorite time of the year i have to go before my house blows away and the dogs absolutely <laughs> lose their mind but thanks to sam and george for joining me have a wonderful christmas and a happy new year <laughs>